Welcome to Plant Stories. The modern, the old, and the crazy in between. dream interpretations, ivy symbolizes immortality and eternal life. And I see this as a direct reflection to how invasive this plant really can be. That brings us into today's episode, English Ivy. Yeah, so English Ivy, also known as heterohelix or common ivy, is originally native to Europe, Western Asia, and Northern Africa. And Just so you guys know, uh, the ivy word for a plant is actually considered any plant with a genus hetera, and that includes about five species of wooden vines. But most specifically, and I personally think most invasive, is definitely the English ivy. It's part of the ginseng family, Hmm. which is Aureliaceae. And it's considered an evergreen perennial plant. It's got like these waxy, somewhat leathery green leaves. And it uh, produces this small uh, fruit in like late summer, early fall. I didn't know that. Yeah, they look kind of like tiny grapes. They don't have the same structure as grapes, but the thing itself does. Um. The plant itself is not parasitic, so you'll probably, I mean, see this plant climbing walls, climbing trees, all kinds of stuff. And this is more that these little, you know, quote unquote roots that it sends out are just anchors in order to get as high as they can and absorb as much light as they can. This plant is well known for growing quickly and needing very little maintenance, which is often why it can be considered a very popular house plant. It's relatively attractive. It will continue to grow in conditions where it's not getting as much light. It grows in poor soil. And so it's become very popular in a lot of places. And it's believed that European colonists actually introduced English ivy into the United States as early as 1727 because as an early plant even, it was known for its ornamental value. People really thought it was just a very attractive looking plant and it continues to be sold ornamentally today and now even includes many different varieties with variegated leaves or kind of like different... Uh, shapes and so it's proven to be very popular I've definitely seen a wide variety of ones with like varying degrees of green and maybe like white stripes and pinks even yeah sometimes even like a little bit more yellow than green or like a little yellowy green Um, and so it's become very popular even now And what's interesting about that is this plant has had a lot of symbolism in all kinds of cultures that we know and probably like haven't thought too deeply about because 
ivy even today is just a plant that's very representative of nature in general so in ancient egypt ivy represented osiris and part of the reason for that is the plant was kind of symbolized as something that represented immortality and uh you know that was osiris he was killed and then put back together and uh you know able to continue living on and so this plant kind of became his plant and also in ancient greece uh, the god dionysus is often depicted wearing a crown of ivy and the ivy and the grapevine are considered his symbols um, English ivy was said to grow on his childhood home of uh, Nysa, the mythical mountain. And that's kind of believed as to where that connection comes from and kind of how the intertwining of ivy and grapevine began. And even later, uh, the Roman god Bacchus, who's kind of uh, Dionysus' counterpart in, uh, you know, the Roman pantheon, uh, he's also associated with wine, and he also uh, was associated then with ivy. And so there was kind of this myth that adding a handful of bruised ivy leaves to wine would keep the drinker from becoming intoxicated. Oh, was that not their goal back then? (laughs) Well, I also think that, uh, you know, even in stories as as far back as that, intoxicating someone was could be kind of a trick or could lead to a trick. So it was kind of like the way that you would avoid being impolite um, would be to like add these and continue to drink. Although... It doesn't work, so don't try it. Oh. There's absolutely no basis in that whatsoever. But it it was like commonly thought for a long time. Um, and Roman poets were also sometimes bestowed with crowns of ivy because the plant was believed to help them think clearly and creatively, uh, kind of the same way that like putting ivy in wine would prevent you from getting an unclear head. Um, it's also believed that kind of because of those associations, um, and that then leading to kind of the association with, um, ivy and grapevines, this prevailed kind of into the middle ages and there were shops that sold wine or ale. And instead of putting big signs or anything up, they would hang a pole featuring ivy outside of their shop so like a pole with an ivy branch and they're they would only do like one branch because the idea was that you didn't need what a bush which would be many ivy branches not an actual bush uh to advertise because your wine would speak for itself subtle and beautiful yeah um other european lore associates ivy with protection from evil Uh, old druids thought of ivy as a plant that represented peace because of its ability to bind plants together 
even when Ivy doesn't necessarily blanket a whole area, it does often, uh, you know, connect and bind things together that otherwise would not be. And it continues to be used as a symbol of connection at weddings, kind of like symbolizes fidelity, um, which did also have some roots in the Greek culture as well. Uh, it was a common representative in these kind of druidic thoughts of nature in rituals and on items such as wands or nature themed decorations. And it was carried by some women uh, to promote fertility and luck. Like they would just have pockets full of leaves. I mean, I don't think it would be like a pocket <laughs> full of leaves, but they would have like a sprig of it. Mm as like a way uh like to encourage Ivy fertility crowns? and protection i did i have made quite a few ivy crowns in my day <laughs> um i did them when i adult. worked at the florist yeah oh, i did them when i worked at the florist and then i also did you know my own probably much crappier versions <laughs> as a child <laughs> Um, Ivy is also a little bit associated with Christmas. So some ancient Christmas carols kind of ones dated back from the 1400s to the 1700s, uh, represent Ivy as kind of the feminine element and Holly as the masculine element, uh, of this like nature that goes on in the winter because there's so many so few plants at that time mm -hmm. and they use their names to kind of represent these two elements in songs such as holly and ivy make a great party which sounds like a much more exciting song than it is or uh the contest of the holly and the ivy and those were more um Those were more songs that were associated with old pagan traditions. And later on, when uh, things kind of went to Christianity, they had the Christmas carol, The Holly and the Ivy instead, which is probably the one that you've heard if you can think of a song that relates those two things that goes on around Christmas time. Yeah, because there's a lot about the male and the female energies. So you can see how that was there. Right. Representation. And, and so, you know, uh, oftentimes they did kind of take things from old pagan traditions and morph them in to fit their Christian traditions in order to kind of convince more people to convert to Christianity. And uh, so that is kind of one of the things that they did. And so uh, Holly has definitely become much more synonymous with Christmas over time. But for a while, Ivy was also kind of a part of that. Yeah, I guess Ivy has just kind of become like a... I don't know. It doesn't really have any occasions 
associated with it anymore. It's just kind of like, if you want to doodle something related to plants, you usually do ivy. (laughs) Right. It's just very representative of nature, I think, is really what it is. It's kind of like the quintessential plant. And I personally think that a lot of that comes from, in a way, its qualities, which we can also consider invasive you know it even in areas where there aren't necessarily a ton of greenery or anything like that ivy can survive there and it might be the thing that you see no matter kind of where you are and it's so heavily used as a house plant and Mm -hmm. you know it grows in so many places that i think in a lot of ways we've adapted to just see it as a representative of nature itself. Even though it technically doesn't grow here naturally. It does not. Yes, that's correct. (laughs) Um, But also for Americans and I'm sure for other people as well, uh, a lot of people think of, the famous Ivy League colleges. So if you've ever wondered where that come from, uh, the name initially referred to an athletic league to which all of the universities belong to. Uh, They called it, you know, the Ivy Leagues. And that eventually morphed into the name referring to the universities themselves. Um, In the 1930s, a writer in the New York Tribune referred to them as the Ivy Colleges. And even previous to that, there were especially a few writers in New York who had referred to them kind of as the Ivy Group. And even before all this, sort of unrelated, because of the name Ivy League for the sports, the students did have a tradition for a while in the 1800s that occurred annually where they actually planted ivy and so at a lot of these locations you will see buildings that have a lot of ivy on them or might have ivy planted on the grounds oh yeah lots of ivy covered buildings ivy ivy everywhere yeah i definitely associate that with the old school schools So it's interesting that we say all these positive things about them, obviously because we know that the plant is invasive and probably the biggest reason, you know, for these invasive qualities is just it's ease of growing really. So as a juvenile plant, you know, this plant can kind of get into any crack, any type of soil and start growing and it gives it the ability to blanket large areas as a juvenile plant um they have the juvenile like it's under a year well it's not quite as succinct as that but basically this is before the plant really becomes established because as we've talked about it's a woody vine so this is when it still hasn't grown into that like thick woody base yet Um, but it can then kind of send out a bunch of shoots and just blanket these you know patches of area killing local grasses or local small plants taking over forest floors 
and things of that nature. So they have the ability to kind of use these runner roots that they have to just smother whatever other plants might be in their path. It's not like Kogan grass where they're like actively killing everything else, but they will outcompete them for light, essentially shading out whatever native plants are there. And they do have the ability to spread this way. And like we talked about, they also do have those small berries, which uh, contain seeds and are easily spread by birds. They're very attractive to birds. Birds tend to eat them and then just, you know, take them off wherever they go. Uh, But these little berries are toxic to humans. Do not eat these berries. They will make you, they will not kill you, but they will make you sick. Um, So then with time, they become mature plants and they grow these very like thick woody bases that are much harder to pull out much better established kind of what you think of when you think of like bushes or shrubs if you've ever seen english ivy growing outside or growing up a tree you always can tell at the base you know where the oldest part of the plant is because it's got a very like brown thick uh, woody vine there and that's when they really start to become anchored in place. And this is when they get the ability to choke out any trees, shrubs, um, or anything like that. And they'll start to actually grow up the trees to compete for light, oftentimes competing with the foliage of these trees themselves. And so not only do they tend to outcompete the tree for light, but they also cause these plants to be very heavily weighted. You know, like I said, these Roots grow very, very thick and dense, which adds an incredible amount of weight to the tree and really damaging its structural integrity. Uh, It can get into those kind of like little cracks in the barks of trees or if there's any damage in trees and it kind of sends its runners out in there and attempt to anchor the plant harder. And so if you've got a plant that already has some damage on it, this will, you know, ultimately cause it to break or fall. And so that's really how it takes down kind of full grown trees is it just covers the whole plant in its vines. And over time, they get thicker and thicker and heavier and heavier. And then a good solid storm comes. And that's the end of that. and walls of buildings yeah so the interesting thing is for the most part i mean you've probably seen buildings that have ivy on them and they seem you know relatively fine like we said it's not a parasitic plant it's just using that as a way to anchor itself so in general it can be fine but the issue can be that it does if you have a building that Uh, ends up with any structural damage or you know is part of a storm or anything like that the weight of that can very heavily affect it and if the building itself you know ends up getting a crack in it or like Mm -hmm. if you had like you know some damage in your siding or something and it got underneath of that it will spread all the way underneath of that 
and just tear everything apart underneath of it. So on the outside, if you, you know, if it's just sitting on the outside of a building, you know, it, it tends not to be that big of a deal. But when you start to get to buildings, you know, that's why you see this plant really just like taking over buildings that haven't been cared for for a long time because it's able to just get into every single one of the cracks and deficiencies in that structure and ultimately its own weight and stuff will cause it to collapse. Have you ever watched those videos about like hypotheses of what would happen to the earth if humans disappeared? Yes, I love that show. <laughs> yeah, I definitely do. All the buildings just get covered in ivy and grasses. And yeah, and in plants in general, I mean, plants unchecked would would take over the world but things like kudzu or this english ivy would certainly do it much quicker and especially in an environment where they thrive you know every if typically you know we as humans notice some damage and we fix it and it's not a big deal but if you don't notice it or you don't upkeep with it and you don't fix it that's when you know you can really end up with issues and so Depending on the building, depending on how exactly you can keep up with this stuff, you know, there's a lot of factors, but ultimately this plant can also become a big nuisance. And I think a lot of people don't realize that when they do things like grow it in their yard or whatever, you know, this plant can find like one grain of dirt and one crack in your house. And it's like, Hey, Hey, we're ready. We're coming for you. We represent immortality. <laughs> and you and you won't even know. On and honestly, there are a lot of cases where you won't if you have other greenery on your house already, or if you're letting it grow there, you might not even know until the damage is done. Or you might put English ivy in one part of your garden thinking that it's a pretty ground cover. And then all of a sudden you notice that it's like taken over half your yard. And I mean, it's not an incredibly fast grower. It doesn't grow like kudzu grows, but it still grows relatively quickly. And I remember even when I, you know, in the past worked some horticultural jobs that we spent a lot of time peeling English ivy off trees because you have to make sure if you're trying to get something off a tree you have to cut that vine at the base and then you have to put a couple of feet between that and whatever you've got going on, uh, on the rest of, on the rest of the tree. But then once you cut that connection, everything on the tree dies. If you're, if that connection reestablishes itself, it will actually continue to grow. So you have to wait till that upper part dies and then pull all that stuff off while keeping the other part, you know, cut the thick woody part cut down. And even once you do that, eventually it still gets back up the tree. So if you're not maintaining it, that's when things get destroyed. Or, you know, when people had it uh, in yards, it's like you have to if you want to keep it, you have to be constantly mowing the area around it to make sure that you're killing off anything that's getting outside of that cultivated area. 
Yeah, what was happening during my childhood was our neighbor had a yard full of English ivy, and it had grown through our fence and was coming into our backyard and up our trees. And so one day I just went into my neighbor's backyard and I just dedicated a full day <laughs> to just hacking away like four feet from their backyard and our fence. <laughs> and they didn't stop me, so... <laughs> They're probably tired of taking care of it, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so... Individual sprouts of ivy most often can be pulled up by hand. Larger pieces usually have to be cut. Uh, you have to pull out whatever you can with the help of larger tools. Uh, and then usually use some type of herbicide to really kill it off. Um, the removal of English ivy in large areas can cost on average about $530 an acre, but it depends on the life stage of the plant, whether it's kind of just like a juvenile ground cover or it's covering the trees, and if the plants need to actually be removed and separated from trees, which can incur a much higher cost. Um, if ivy is still a juvenile ground cover in your yard, sometimes it can be killed by mowing repetitively in order to prevent the plant from absorbing light. So basically, you know, it can't photosynthesize if you're constantly cutting off its tool for photosynthesizing so uh, but it does take repeated you know mows at because it will grow back obviously and it is a little bit stubborn about that yeah it wouldn't be on this channel if it wasn't difficult <laughs> <laughs> right uh like many plants though english ivy also had some influences in medicine in the past. Uh, most notably, it was used to treat an improved lung function from swelling and mucus buildup in the lungs. It's believed that it might have ex uh, like the expectorant properties. Expectorant? That's what I meant to say. Oh my gosh. Expectorant! I got it. I said it like a spell from Harry Potter. <laughs> yes. <coughs> um, what does the spell do? <laughs> um i don't know it, it 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 makes you cough i don't know <laughs> oh, okay not fun uh it was also used to help with liver spleen and gallbladder disorders uh gout and joint pains sometimes it was applied directly to the skin to help with certain types of swelling or things like parasites infections and other inflammations uh, as far as modern day medicine goes their use is pretty insufficient for what we would use and there's not really any scientific founding in their use uh, and most importantly some people do have mild to moderate allergic reactions to the plant so hmm. it's not really recommended or favored but it is kind of rumored to have those properties uh, in medicine but English ivy you know who knew it's a pretty interesting plant What's your mini tip? My mini tip is that if you have a plant in your home that's English ivy, uh, be mindful not to just throw it out. 
Um, if you throw it out, like just in your backyard, it will probably start to grow there. Even if you throw it out, you know, in the trash and it's still alive, uh, it could possibly, you know, grow somewhere else. Um, most of the time, the best thing to do is to wait until it's completely dried up and dried out and you know that the plant is dead before you get rid of it. Um, if it gets something like a parasite or something and you are unable to remove the parasite, I would suggest separating it from your other plants and just letting it die until uh, before you throw it away. Just to make sure that it dries out? Yeah, just to make sure that it dries out and dies. And also, I mean, once it takes all the nutrient from your plant, the parasites will probably die or go away as well. As long as they're not, as long as they're not near your other plants. And what are we going to talk about in our next episode? In our next episode, we're going to talk about the Norway maple. You've probably seen one. And it's probably still invasive. <laughs> I, I think I've seen one. I think, well, we'll see if I properly identified it. Maybe I didn't. <laughs> Thought I saw one in the backyard. Well, thank you all for joining us on our latest episode, Invasive Plants English Ivy. If you enjoyed this episode, give it a like, a subscribe, share with a friend, give a comment, give some questions, let's interact. And join us next week to learn even more about the Norway people. Bye!